to Leading Georgia. I am your host, Brittany Bangert. While it's easy to find information on those leaders that have had a national impact, what about those right here at home? This podcast is about our communities, our leaders, local mayors, executive directors of our charities and nonprofits, our historical societies, our religious institutions. Leading Georgia is a community podcast by them for us. So join me as we learn about our leaders right here at home. This is Leading Georgia. On this week's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Reverend Dr. Joseph Nathaniel Cousin Sr. Reverend Cousin is the pastor of the Allen Temple Church in Woodstock. He is also the president of the Cherokee County chapter of the NAACP. Reverend Cousin and I discussed a variety of issues, what brought him to the Allen Temple Church in Woodstock, his leadership style to include change management, and I was thrilled to learn about his three leaders I was fascinated by the conversation with Dr. Cousin, and I'm thrilled to share that with you now. So without further ado, the Leading Georgia interview with Reverend Dr. Joseph Cousin. So Reverend Cousin, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for agreeing to sit down. So um, as you know, this, this podcast is about our communities, community leaders such as yourself, but we can't talk about that without talking about your origin story. Okay. Where were you born and raised? Sound like a superhero origin story. Um, <laughs> yes, aren't you? Where's your cape? Uh, okay, I was born, uh, this is a lot. I was born in North Carolina, where I lived until I was three. Um, after North Carolina, I was raised in Alabama and in Florida um, through high school. Through high school. And then I saw your education. I went to Hampton University. So Shout out to Hampton. Went up to Virginia. <laughs> Virginia. Yes. Virginia, um, who I don't consider part of the South because they don't serve sweet tea in the restaurants. No, they don't. No. But, you know, that's fine. I digress. Um, so you have a bachelor's in political science. Yes. So as I mentioned to you offline, that surprised me. Um, me I don't. Too. I, <laughs> so no. how, how, how did that come about? Okay, well, um, I don't know if you know this, but my father, my grandfather, his brother, my great uncle, would be my great uncle, my father, four brothers are all pastors. That's amazing. And so I was really just dead set against being a pastor. I was going to be a lawyer. And so that's oh, why wow. the political science degree. I went all the way through um, college until about my senior year. I was not um, pleased with the, um, the, the direction I was taking because the Lord was just really working on me about being a pastor. Yeah. But I didn't want to do it. And so I finally just gave in, became a pastor, uh, accepted my call to preach. So that's where the political science degree came in. Matter of fact, I was on my way to studying for the LSAT. I was going to take the LSAT. I was going to go to law school, but I just, it never materialized. Wow. That's fascinating. Did you have a specific area of law that you wanted to pursue or just in general, I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer? I have to be honest with you, Brittany. Coming up, remember LA Law? Yes. The TV show LA Law? Of yes. course, it's way before your time, but LA Law. I remember law. LA Law. <laughs> um, I thought lawyers made a lot of money as a kid. And I said, wow, I'll go be a lawyer and probably corporate law and I could make a lot of money. Um, or so I thought as a child, you know, yeah. didn't no, work we, out. we all have those <laughs> misconceptions as a child. Absolutely. So that's, I know this is not about me, but I, so I was a music education major until I watched too much West Wing and then said, no, I'm going to go into political science. And similarly, I'm going to be a lawyer so I can work in the West Wing one day. Which not, would be pretty cool. Well, yeah, but the West Wing in reality is not like my words won't be wouldn't be written by Aaron Sorkin so no no, no. <laughs> especially not today no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> um so then you have uh, of course obviously postgraduate work mm -hmm. as, as well what are your your other degrees there Do okay doctor I did um, <laughs> let me see I have a master's um I have a um master's in divinity from Boston University so I left Hampton went to Boston um went to BU for three years finished there then after I left BU I uh, I have a, a doctorate in ministry, which is called a D-Men, but I had to take a break because they don't like you to do your D-Men right after your MDiv. You kind of have to have some experience. Oh, that makes sense. Right. So yeah. I think I had to have about, I don't remember how many years it was, about three years or so. I think I started my, um, my D-Men program two or three years after my MDiv. And my doctorate is in marriage and family 
uh, it's marriage and family therapy as it relates to ministry, but I don't have the licensure um, for the therapy. I have the degree, but I don't have the uh, the licensing right. credentials. How did how did you choose that for your PhD? I just thing? thought it was something that I would like to do. You yeah. know, it was interesting. And then I, I did it, and I love it. But problem was, I don't have the time to be a full time pastor, which I've always been full time pastor. Yeah, and full time counselor. Right. So I counsel now, but once again, it's it's not really counseling. It's more or less just advisement because I don't have the uh, the credentials. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you then from um, North Carolina, Florida, Alabama, Virginia, Boston? New, then okay. <laughs> Thank you for calling me out on switching to a city there. <laughs> <laughs> I left. I left. Uh, well, in my last year of seminary, I was uh, appointed to a church in upstate New York, in Schenectady, New York. So you know, a very you know, easy word to spell. Schenectady. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right, right outside of Albany, I was there. Mm-hmm. So my last year of seminary, I would have to travel from Boston to Schenectady, like 180 miles one way, Ooh. for the last year, um, and that's how I ended up there. And after I graduated from seminary, I ended up staying at that church another year, maybe. After I graduated um, seminary, or not even, yeah, about another year after I graduated seminary, I was in Schenectady. Then I left there and went to Pennsylvania, to Norristown, Pennsylvania. And I was in Norristown for about four years. Then I went to Philly for a brief stint, about a year and a half. And then I was in Michigan the last uh, 13 years. Wow. I've been all over. And I saw you're skipping over it. Well, I assume you're skipping over time timeline-wise. You've done some studying in Oxford. Yeah, it was. It, it, was, it wasn't long. It was, only a, it was a two-week program, but it was really cool because um, it was part of the Oxford Roundtable. Yeah. And we discussed... Um, science versus religion um like where science ends religion begins and and how the two coexist it's pretty cool that's super interesting yeah it was was which i feel like the same can be the same kind of study can be done with with politics or religion of course there because oh gosh yes we have embedded in our constitution the separation of church and state but how can you know pastors how can you register uh, separate your political like you still have the right to a political opinion is what i'm trying to say it's right it's crazy because has there ever really been a separation of church and state when you look on um, our dollar bill and it says, mm. in God we trust? So if the dollar bill says, in God we trust, where has there, there has been a, uh, a written separation of church and state? But I don't know if it's ever been a separation in actuality. Yeah, I would agree with you yeah. on, on that, um, which I think makes it difficult for um, if you are not of the Christian faith. It does. And then. and it's and it's hard because we do have the right, obviously, to have our own individual political views, but I have to be very careful because you don't want to get in trouble by um through any sort of uh messing with your nonprofit status or any of that right. stuff as a church. So you can have individual views as a pastor, but you can't tell the church right. per se how to vote. You're I not supposed to. Absolutely agree yeah. with that. And I'm thankful for that yeah. as well. Um so we we then from Philly, mm-hmm. which is a great great city. Um, it was cool. Is that then how you found your way to Woodstock? No, I went to Ann Arbor for thirteen years. You've just been all over. Do you have a map in your I house of like the pinned I <laughs> pins left, on the uh, map? And growing up um, with the with my dad moving around a lot, because there's a bishop in our church. My dad's one of our retired bishops of our denomination. He would have to move every eight years. Ah, so that's why I was moving so much. Almost like the military. Yeah, the military. yeah. Every eight years, he'd get a new, a new position. So he had eight years in Alabama, then eight years in Florida, then he had eight years in the Northeast, then he had eight years in the Midwest. Wow. And I sort of um, shadowed, you know, um, him. He, he was fortunate enough to, you know, allow me to go with him, you know, different places. And so I ended up in Ann Arbor, Michigan for 13 years. It was a great, great time in Ann Arbor. Really? With city. all the snow? Oh, the snow was... <laughs> Yeah, and, and see, that's the funny thing. People don't understand I'm a Southerner. Right. I was born in North Carolina and raised in Alabama and Florida, so I've always been a Southerner. The snow was not something I liked. No. No. But Ann Arbor was great. People were very nice. Yeah. Snow was bad. I, 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 I share that from uh, growing up here. I grew up in East Cobb, and mm-hmm. I, I live in Cherokee County now, but um, joined the Army and was in 
uh, Fort Carson, mm-hmm. Colorado, which mm-hmm. is an hour south of Denver and just as high and just as hard to breathe. Then to Germany, which is latitudinally in line with Maine. Mm-hmm. And then to Virginia, <laughs> right outside of D.C. I'm, like, I'm done with the snow. It's time to go home. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So now on your timeline, your journey, mm-hmm. you're in Woodstock, mm-hmm. Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so tell us a little bit, how did that come to be? Is this the similar to your father? I assume the, the appointments, right? Our Bishop, uh, who's here is Bishop Reginald Jackson and, um, shout out to Bishop Jackson, who was very instrumental, you know, the hate crimes, uh, bill that was just passed. Yes. Bishop Jackson worked tirelessly, uh, tirelessly upon that since he's been here, he got here in, um, 2016 and he's been bishop here since then and he worked really hard on that so he uh allowed me to come down here as the bishop of this district they make the appointments he allowed me to come down to woodstock as the former pastor i had to retire we have a mandatory retirement age of 75. so as he was retiring bishop said uh joe there's an opportunity for you in georgia which my wife being from birmingham gives her a chance to be closer to her mom and her family and so i jumped on it yeah, absolutely. Well, we're very thankful you did. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. You. So, um, at the tell you, so like I like I just said, I grew up 20 minutes up the road, up Canton Road, right? Okay. And coming to Woodstock, downtown Woodstock, which is a couple blocks up the street from where we're sitting right now, it was it was desolate. Maybe one or two shops. I've heard the train tracks, right? I've at, heard. Like, and just to see it now, where it's stop and go traffic at all hours of any day. Um, how have you seen the neighborhood change in what the three years that you've been here? It's, it's crazy because, um, when I, when, right when I got here across the street from the church, they were putting in those, uh, townhouses, I guess you call mm-hmm. them. And they were just coming up. So they're up now. Then down the street from there, we have the other townhouses. Then down the street a little bit, you have more. And then you have the downtown area, which is just blown up. It's amazing. And I live a little bit further up. I live in Canton. So even around right off of Sixes Road and around us, I've seen all the just the growth out here is phenomenal. And I don't know. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing because if you had told my younger self, you're going to be hanging out in in Woodstock on a regular basis. Like, what? Why? (laughs) Yeah. And you ask yourself the question, like now people are really just clamoring to move to downtown Woodstock. Yep. I mean, it's 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 a great it's a nice area but i'm just yeah. like i'm i'm amazed even at the what i've seen in three years i'm amazed at it it's it's something yeah it's gorgeous and i love that they've been able to preserve the history mm-hmm. um that you know that 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 road i i told my husband because he grew up in this area as well like oh, i wish this was a one lane or a one-way street going through downtown woodstock but because there's no parallel street to go the other there's it's not possible and it's never going to be widened so we're just stuck with that traffic but yeah that means you keep the history. That salon that used to be the Woodstock City Jail, and you walked up and oh, down Main Street. Okay. That you can see the plaques of when these these places were founded. You know what the building was before. I think that's that's fantastic. We were able to do that. I use the royal we because I didn't do that, but <laughs> <laughs> the pe- the people in charge around here. Yeah, it, this is a um, and I know at one time I don't know if it still is, but. If I'm not mistaken, at one time, this was one of the fastest growing areas in the country, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cherokee County as a whole is the fastest growing county in Georgia, I right. believe. I think so. Um, so, and Woodstock being being part of that. And then just neighbors with Cobb County, a mile up the road. Um, that was bound to spill over sometime. And right then there. a lot of that's just Atlanta pushing out too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I remember I did a um, thesis for my, my senior thesis for my undergraduate. Prepare yourself for how exciting this is. Okay, let me hear um, public policy, <laughs> the subject, I don't remember the exact title. It's, oh my gosh, it was public policy and es- essentially doing mass transit that we have now, like the easy pass lanes. This was in 2007. I did this, um, from Chattanooga to Atlanta and why it does or does not work. And it, it was an exhilarating semester of writing that thesis. But it's necessary. <laughs> um, oh, it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. But I wonder, so Canton is a, is growing just like Woodstock mm-hmm. has. My husband and I were in Ackworth yesterday. Downtown Ackworth is doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cartersville, they're trying to do the exact same thing. My wife works in Cartersville. So, so yeah, so you have these little towns that are being infused with whatever they're being infused with to say, yes, we're not, these towns are here, right? We're going to preserve the history. We're going to uh, build anew, but then how far can that expand? Uh, and, that's, and that's the thing, because eventually you are going to push, if you haven't already, all the way to the Tennessee line. Right. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. 
Right. And there's more growth. It just keeps coming and coming and coming, which I love because as a pastor of the church, um, and, and I got to put a plug in, if you don't mind, Brittany. Plug away, sir. If you're ever in, a chance, if you're ever in the neighborhood and have a chance, come to Allen Temple, Woodstock. We're right near downtown uh, on Arnold Mill Road, 232 Arnold Mill Road. You can't miss us. Yeah, it's a gorgeous church. Thank you. Oh, Thank my you. gosh, it's gorgeous. Thank you. It's, yeah, absolutely. Um, so so tell me about, um, you know, getting started here, you know, becoming a, a, a new pastor in, in terms of obviously not your experience, but to the people here, mm-hmm. um, you know, an already, uh, I guess, solidified congregation, so to speak. Been here over 150 years. That's incredible. Are yeah. you serious? I had no idea. Not in this spot, but in the community for... I want to say just over 150 years, maybe 150, 150 plus years. See, that's what I mean. That's amazing. A long time. So how do you approach that with yourself, with your family, you know, with, with what I assume were many personal prayers um, to, to come in to lead this congregation that is so well established? Well, the good thing about it, I've, I've been pastoring now since 1997. Um, so when I got here, I had been pastoring um, right at 20 years, which was good. And so now, uh, having that experience behind me, it helped. But the congregation has been very nice, uh, very kind, very supportive. Um, and I mean, they were, they're good, especially following behind a gentleman who built this church, had been here for years, had done a great job. It just had to retire. But he had done an awesome job. So they sort of allowed me to pick up and to carry us forward as best I could. But yeah. it's because I have a great team around me who helped me out tremendously. They make me look good. That is, but that is, see, that's a true leader right thank there. Thank you. They're an awesome church. People. Awesome yes, church. Yes, they are. I have met many, many people from here and just the absolute kindest people yeah, to right. a T. Really Everyone's smiling all over. The, every time I see them, people smiling. And I, and I attribute that to the grace of God and also to the great leadership, you know, that they've had over the years. The pastor I was able, uh, his name was Carl Moore, that I was able to follow. Uh, that leadership and being able to take it to a new place, it's, it's a blessing. So, so I know some things that you've done and, and we'll of course get, get to them such as the um, Cherokee NAACP mm-hmm. and such, but what are some other things over your tenure here, these last three years that, um, because my experience with you has been, you know, the last, we'll say year, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's been that long. About a year. Which is, has it been? That's amazing. Close to it. Yeah. Yeah. It. So what happened before that? Because of course we're going to talk about there, but what, you know, what, what, yeah, what happened before? I'll leave it, I'll leave it right well, there. <laughs> you know, coming in, the first thing you have to do is um, you have to figure out exactly, it's, 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 um, it's like a marriage, you know, but it's, it's a different kind of a marriage because now you really do have like a blended family. Right. Because you've got those that have only ever had one pastor because he was here 24 years. Well, that's so a very good point. Yeah. They've only had one pastor. Then I come in and the age, you know, I come in, when I got here, I was... 44 when I got here. Um, actually, I was still 43. I was turning 44 when I got here. And um, him retiring at 75, you know, different generations, different. So you had to be very careful with that. But they were, once again, the church was very helpful. And we just were able to come in and do some different things, um, trying to continue to grow the church. But also what I wanted to make sure of, I wanted to make sure that the church was as involved as we could be in the community and in the life of the community. Um, definitely not saying that they weren't before. Right, they absolutely right. were. But to make it as uh, involved as I could make it, you know, since I've been here. So we were able to reach out and try to be um, um, to, uh, help politically. Also, when I got here, one of the things that we did was, um, I'm, I'm big on um, having a, a, a succinct, specific mission that you try to accomplish. Well, we're Allen Temple. So when I got here, the Lord placed it on my spirit, the, the letters A-T, Allen Temple. So we just took at, and we became um, the church that's at your service, A-T. So we, mm. so our whole theme now is being the church is at your service, and we do that uh, by four principles that we established since I came here. We teach, we go, we serve, we grow. So we teach the Word of God. Then as we teach the Word of God, we go into the community to spread the Word of God. Then as we do that, we can't help but serve because we believe that, as Jesus said, we are called to serve, not to be served. And as we do that, God will let us grow. So if you do the first three, if you uh, teach, go and serve, you don't have to worry about growing because God will take care of that. And God has blessed us to be able to grow, um, you know, and, and we really have. And we even in the midst of this pandemic, we're still blessed 
because uh, even as we're closed physically as a building, God hasn't allowed us to miss a beat. That's so that's, we're fortunate. that's amazing. Yeah, yes. So we so we're focusing a lot of stuff on, and we established some new ministries. One of our new ministries we established was uh, it's called TNT. Uh, big on acronym, acronyms. It stands for uh, it's TNTS, the nerve to serve. So the TNTS ministry is one of our uh, really um, more prominent ministries now to go out and just serve people to uh, to work with the various organizations around here, and they're they're awesome. Um, so we've been we've been blessed. We try to be really a giving church and a caring church. Yeah, absolutely. Have you? Um, I feel like it's a necessary question. Have mm-hmm. you felt any pushback ever? Any any lack of want from the community for the things the church is doing? Not so much. Not so much. Um, I think the community is very receptive to it. Um, and I've met with the leaders of the community. Our mayor is awesome. Um, Chief of police, um, Chief Moss, dear friend of mine, awesome. Um, so the community representatives have been great. Our council people, our county commissioners, awesome, great people. Um, this group that you may be familiar with, the Cherokee County Democrats, I am awesome. a little bit. <laughs> awesome. So they haven't really pushed back at all. The, and not so much pushback, but the only thing I would say, and this always happens, is um, coming into a church and trying to make some shifts and some adjustments and some hmm. changes. They're not always... Um, met with the most enthusiasm but over time i think yeah. the, the church really uh, appreciates the changes i would say that's true of anything any organization that, um I, the the cliche the one constant is change or however you want to say it that the only thing that likes change is a wet baby <laughs> that's what they say i'm about to use that <laughs> that's what I'm they say <laughs> yes that's um, yeah, people you get you get um, I don't want to say complacent, but you get comfortable and it's the fear of the unknown. Right. Right. And see, um, and it's funny because at my last church, I made some changes um, at that church. I was there 13 years, you know, and I made some changes and I was really worried about them. And as I made the changes and they were changes to like our worship style and some changes to some other things. And people were just fighting and fighting and fighting against those changes. And I was praying, and this is what God told me that I'll never forget. God said to me, uh, God said, you know, you see the result of what happens because you changed. What you don't see is what you would have become had you not Mm, changed. Opportunity cost there. And sometimes we mess up because not changing, you know, not making a decision is making a decision. Absolutely. So, So by choosing not to change, you're making a decision. And God says that you made the right decision. So don't be afraid of to, and even in this world we're in now with this pandemic and everything, right. don't be afraid to embrace some of the changes that you have to embrace during this season because you'll find they'll make you better. Absolutely. But you got to embrace them. Yeah. I love that. That it's, it's absolutely true. And I don't think it's at the forefront of anyone's mind when you're having to make a decision. Not doing anything is also, e- either way you look at it, you're making a decision. You're making a decision. Either way. That's I'm, you, you're teaching me today, Reverend. Thank you. Brittany. I'm learning some things. Thank you. Um, so, you are president of the Cherokee County NAACP. I am. So, how did that come about? Okay, she's probably going to kill me for saying this. Um, I talked about the good team. Yes. Okay, Keisha Shepherd. Yes. Shout out to Keisha. Um, she's also an officer at our church, one of our stewards, one of our leadership team. And she's uh, the head of our social justice, social action ministry here at the church. She'll say it was my idea to have the NAACP. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was her idea. But whosoever it was, she really helped because um, she made it happen. So I don't know. I think we are the only NAACP chapter or the first NAACP chapter in Cherokee County, Georgia. I think Um, I'm pretty certain we are. And so in doing that, she just worked. Keisha worked tirelessly. She got the required signatures. I think we needed 100 people to be a part of it. So she really, really worked. So when it came to being a president, she, um, she's the vice president, and she agreed to be the vice president and allowed me as the pastor to be the president. But she has um, as much right to this and as much uh, of an investment in this as anybody. And she was awesome. So that's why you have to put good people around you to help you. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be stuck. And so we were able to start the chapter. And I think we've now celebrated 
our first year, just about as a chapter, and we're doing well. You know, we're doing pretty well. We'd love to have more people join. Um, NAACP is for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it's for everyone to be a part of because what we're pushing is justice and equality, and especially now yes, with everything going on about the, um, just the state of, of the country right now. Everybody's woke all right. of a sudden or trying to be woke all of a sudden. So it's a good time to be a part of the NAACP. Yeah, absolutely. And those meetings, um, just for everyone's edification, mm -hmm. in, in um, I won't say normal times, but when the church is open, mm -hmm. are held here. At here, the church. Right. On the third Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, third Tuesday, third Tuesday of the month. Third Tuesday of the month, seven o'clock. Absolutely. Yes. So um, I love that, that the, that the, cause, cause growing up, um, I will admit not very religious. So the, the thought of a, a church or any religious institution having a social, social justice arm in whatever definition, whatever terminology you want to use to me. Yeah. I grew up in Alabama with Southern Baptists all around me. What part of Alabama? Piedmont. Well, I no. I'm sorry. I grew up here. My family um, is from there. So when I say grew up, I would spend summers with my grandmother gotcha. and all. Uh, so Piedmont, which is just outside of uh, Jackson, Jacksonville, mm -hmm. um, most often it's on the news because a tornado has hit Jack State, unfortunately. But there we are on the corner. So I was going with my grandmother on Sundays to um, to Southern Baptist, you know, to churches, and so that was my experience growing up. So to hear that there's so much else that happens inside the church and that branches out is really fascinating um it's, absolutely it's funny because historically you know obviously the biggest um the biggest advocate for social justice in the history of the world is jesus you know there's a huge advocate for social justice who also you know was one who really pushed for equality justice and everything even giving his life you know for that cause but the interesting thing is in the African-American or the black community, and you hear me, you'll hear me say both interchangeably, the church has always been the central uh, focus of, of like the hub of the community. So mm -hmm. anything that was going on to help would always spring forth from the church because the church was the place before we had all the television shows and before we had all the different activities, everybody gathered and met at the church. So the church became that. And hopefully we're just continuing that, um, that, that history yeah. you know so how do you because i know there are a couple organizations that meet here mm -hmm. um how then do you decide who is i don't want to say who is welcome and who is not because obviously you're a very welcoming person mm -hmm. as is the Thank church yeah. um but but for lack of a better term how do you decide who is welcome to have meetings uh on the church the, grounds the simplest way to do it is just ask <laughs> you know, and that's it's funny, but most people don't ask. So when yeah. organizations that we can help and we have a, we have a lot of space, we have a big building. And if we can help you as an organization and if we feel your organization lines up with um, the, the fundamentals and the teachings of of the Bible, you know, and, and of what Jesus tried to do. Um, and as you said before, not so much about your religion, per se, but do the ideals line up. And if they do. And especially with growing and building community, we will definitely, definitely um, jump right in to help you, to help that's, you build community. That's fantastic. I um, so this is where I want to switch a little bit. What you got? Um, because we are so close to downtown Woodstock, a few mm -hmm. blocks up there, and as you have alluded to a few times, the events of the world. We're recording this here at the. Um, with the last few days of June, um, and of course COVID, but the the loss of Black lives, you know, that has, I'm, it's an awful thing to say, but I feel like it is absolute truth has been a a constant for decades and more, um, but has been brought to the forefront. I often see that the external news, external as being um, not originating in our community. Uh, it's easy to turn that out, tune mm -hmm. that out, right? Even at home, I do that, that I'll watch the news, but I have a nine-year-old sitting on the couch. Um, so if there's, I don't want him to watch George Floyd being killed, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to turn that off. I've explained Emmett Till to him in terms that he can understand because mm -hmm. he's also on the autism spectrum. So choosing words with that uh, is, is, is sometimes a task, but the, the, um, a group, um, not affiliated with Black Lives Matter, but that support the Black Lives Matter movement were protesting at the beginning of June for several weeks. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I know we've had a couple conversations about this, but I don't know if you're aware and our, I'm certainly some listeners may not be aware that there was a teenager that would show up long before the big crowd of protesters would that had rocks thrown at him. A gun was pulled on people that we know, friends of ours had a gun pulled on them here a couple blocks up the street. So as we're talking about how wonderful and it is downtown Woodstock is, also look at the vitriol that was right there because the external news came home. So how, as a, as a leader of this church, as a leader of this community, how, I'm, I'm gonna use past tense, but I know it's under, of course it's still going on. Mm-hmm. How did you see that? And how did, what was your reaction? To, to the protests and, and the reaction to the protests? I think that, um, as you stated before, these are issues that we've dealt with a long time. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, mm. and Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida is more like the most southern part of Georgia than it is like the most northern part of Florida. And so, um, and I grew up in a predominantly white area as well. So a lot of the stuff you know, the, the underlying stuff and the underlying racism and all of those things I've, I've dealt with, you know, I've, my whole life. This is different because I see people actually taking, a, um, taking notice of this more so than I've ever seen people taking notice of this. And it does give, mm. it does give hope. It gives a lot of hope. But you also are reminded that um, we, and I say we in a very broad sense, but we sort of, or shall I say some people, I'll say some people, teach racism to our kids. Yeah. We, we t- and we don't teach it always by the overt things that we say. We teach it by the conversations that we may have around the dinner table or the conversations we may have around the, the family reunions or those kinds mm. of things where, you know, cousin so-and-so is coming in, but, you know, he doesn't think the same way I think about race and racism and you know but he doesn't think like that but you may hear him say something and if you hear him say it just don't worry about this is just how he is well the way to change it is you have to be willing to confront those issues head on and i applaud everyone because here in in downtown woodstock even i see a lot of the people that really are out there protesting are white people yeah that struck me when when i came down which is which is awesome and thank you because here's the thing we, we can't do it without each other. And, and there's a line that they say that says, um, you know, about Black Lives Matter. And some people are having a hard time saying Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. So they'll come back and say all lives matter. Yeah. But the, the key is all lives can't matter until we first acknowledge black lives do matter. Absolutely. And so that's what we have to begin to help people understand. But when we're pushed, sometimes we fall to our most base um, instinct and level and a lot of that is what we were taught or how we were taught and and what we were allowed to see growing up so so this i think is is a good um like we were saying before you have you have obviously religious experience Mm -hmm. in education teachings and the like and then you have that political science education as well for 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 you for the church something like the black lives matter movement that largely people say this is a social justice movement Mm -hmm. Um, do you agree or disagree that it is, it is a, a marriage of, of the two? Like, yes, there's politics involved in that, just political semantics with the all lives matter versus black lives matter. matter. Um, but, you know, you lead a church as well that has social justice as, as part of its tenets, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So to you, is there a marriage between the two or is it just this is what needs to be done so we're going to do it? No, there's got to be a marriage between the two. And, and it's funny you should say that because if you look historically, um, historically, especially during the civil rights movement, the impetus for all of this came out of the church, mm. came from the church. Matter of fact, who's the greatest um, symbol or figure of the civil rights movement? Dr. King. Right. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Yes. Martin Luther King Jr., who also went to Boston University. Shout out to Dr. King <laughs> and was actually uh, in school with my dad. My, oh, wow. My dad was working on his master's in divinity, and Dr. King was working on his Ph.D., uh, so they crossed paths there at BU. But he was the Reverend Doctor. So the, the movement sprang out from the church. What we have to, to get across now is, especially with this uh, generation of those that are leading the Black Lives Matter movement, is our um, need for one another. 
which is definitely there. Our, our need to be allies with each other in the movement for the church to help, um, for the Black Lives Matter movement to help, because the Black Lives Matter movement did not spring forth from the church. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely needed, and they're definitely needed to work together, um, which I think is, is happening. Uh, but we have to just make that a point to work together and to make it happen. And that goes not just with African-Americans, but it goes with Caucasians. It goes with everyone to come together to stand because um, you, you really take notice. I'll give you an example, just being completely honest. Yeah. If you see the, the protest in, say, a downtown Woodstock, you would expect to go down there and you expect to see African-Americans in the protest predominantly and you, that's what you'd expect to see. But when you see Caucasians, when you see white people down there protesting as well, and sometimes even louder than some of the African-Americans, you really take note of it. So we need that to take note um, you know, of, of the movement and to make a difference. And I'm seeing something, Brittany, I've never seen before. I'm seeing people actually being held accountable for their words. Mm. Like on Facebook. Yes. Every day I see somebody else that says something crazy on Facebook and they lose their job. Yeah. Or say something crazy or racist on Facebook and they lose their standing. When I was growing up, if you said something racist, you just said something racist. Right. And moved on. So this is different. This is different. Yeah. And I, I would say, yep, I um, have unfollowed a lot of even family members on Facebook that I, I have it to share, you know, um, because I was in the army and because I have family spread out and friends spread out. Um, you know, I have two boys, uh, you want to see what they look like and I am not printing off pictures to send you. Right. So, um, it's easier to have social media, but I'm always struck, um, with the people defending the, any racist remarks, you know, for, to use your example, um, as, oh, but it's, it's the first, my first amendment right to free speech. Like, yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't mean your speech doesn't have repercussions. And I think what it is too, is a lot of it is, I'm guessing, I don't think people really want to see themselves that way mm. i don't want to see myself you know as you know a, a racist i've, I've got yeah. i've got one black friend or i've got one white friend i've got one asian friend i've got one you know so i don't want to see myself like that um so i get defensive you know people get yeah. defensive but the bottom line is um none of us should be using the language that a lot of us have been have gotten comfortable using and hearing right over time and it's amazing too, I have noticed, I have one, one of my best friends, my son's uh, godmother, she shared, um, she shared this article that it was phrases that, you know, where they, where they originated, how they came to be that we use as everyday vernacular. I know I do because mm-hmm. I'm just like as simple as saying light switch or doorknob. I had no idea the origin of some of these. And it's hard to take that out of your vernacular if it's something you didn't know. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to some of the more, um, I, well, to say more disgusting words is subjective and that's not re- to the more readily acceptable words we'll say those mm-hmm. that the larger populace knows are horrific um but chooses to, to still say how do you then stand on on you know the words words only have the power that you give them correct um however how do we also say stop saying these hateful things to somebody um, because in my experience, even hearing them, and um, I understand I am sitting here a white woman, so I have not had racial um, vitriol thrown at me, but, but you know, I've heard it thrown at others. And the power behind those words, you know, what they mean, you cannot misinterpret. So how do you say to somebody else, yes, the word has only the power you will give it, but look at the power it's been given for actual centuries so let's just take it out of our vernacular. Is that, that no, was a rambling question, no, I understand. No, but that, that's what you have to do. You, you almost have to be willing to be strong enough to say, don't say that. Yeah. You know, there, there are some words that I, that I was taught as a kid that um, you just don't say to a woman. Mm. Some things you don't call a woman. I mean, you just don't. Right. And it's just unacceptable. And so I've made it a choice just not to use those words. And if I hear others using those words, we've got to say, hey, that's not, that's not cool to use. And it's the same thing with um, certain words that have racial overtones. Um, we've also learned, too, and you said your, uh, your son is on the, the spectrum. Yeah. There are certain words we would use growing up, yep. you know, that we both used, uh, I'm certain, as kids growing up because we heard mm-hmm. it all around us. 
But now we've been taught and educated, don't use that word. Don't yeah. say that word. So it's a matter of speaking up to people and saying that's just not cool to say. Um, and if you talk about your, your free speech and everything, and you do have free speech, but are we trying to build a community or are we trying to tear down a community? Right. And that's what scares me about what I see, especially in this country right now. I see, um, I see more, especially from the top, more tearing down than I see trying to build up right. from the leadership. So this, I think, is a very good um, spot to switch, not switch over, but to okay. read this quote. Mm -hmm. So I came to, um, to, to where I am now, however you want to put it, through what, what my formal education is in and volunteer work and in really through going through a fifth grader to sixth grader studying uh, the Civil War. And so therefore, Abraham Lincoln and that, and you know, my little 11, 12 year old brain could not comprehend the reason for the Civil War. And so I started studying other things. Of course, naturally it will lead to the Civil Rights Movement with Dr. King, mm -hmm. Malcolm X. It was around the time that that movie came out. And even to this day, I will watch it anytime it's on. Um, Great movie. And it, how Denzel Washington did not win the Oscar, I, I don't understand. Um, but, but then of course the Kennedys, mm -hmm. starting with JFK and then RFK, who remains a personal hero of mine, and so I would encourage anyone, everyone, to listen to his speech given in Indianapolis on April 4th, 1968, which is the day that Dr. King was shot and killed in Memphis. So uh, Senator Kennedy was running for president and he was to show up in Indianapolis to give, you know, a campaign speech. Um, and if you, it's about a five and a half, six minute video slash speech. Um, you can read it, but, you know, to hear... To hear the reactions, he had to go and tell a predominantly non-white audience that Dr. King was, was dead. Mm -hmm. So to hear the shock and horror as he says this, and then as he goes through his words, speaking so methodically and choosing each word so carefully, to hear even applause come through, and you know they're applauding through anguish and tears. Um, and the, the whole... The whole speech is fascinating. He um, at one point says, for those of you, I'm quoting, for those of you who are black, considering the evidence that there evidently is that there were white people who are responsible, you can be filled with bitterness, with hatred, and a desire for revenge. We can move in that direction as a country in great polarization, black people amongst black, white amongst white, filled with hatred toward one another. And then he goes on to say, I feel in my own heart the same kind of feeling I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. And I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, this man is empathizing to the point that he can, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I wanted to, I've forgotten how to say that name. Aeschylus. Aeschylus, thank you. It's written very, <laughs> um, not that way, if I ignore the A. So again, I, I want to ask you, because this specific um, quote quote within a quote has always struck me. And I wanted to ask if you would like to comment on just what it means to you, um, not only as a, as a pastor, as a human being, right? Um, but in, in reflection of what we've been discussing. So um, RFK said, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He wrote, in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What does, what does that mean to you? Like I said, through what our country is going through now, what our downtown Woodstock is going through now, your church, yourself as a husband, father, a pastor. Um, I think, you know, it says even in our sleep, pain, which cannot forget, falls drop by drop upon the heart. Um, so, there are going to be seasons in life that pain is unavoidable. Seasons in life where difficulty, you have to deal with it. And that, that especially when he made that quote, was an unavoidable season of pain mm. and difficulty as uh, Dr. King was, was assassinated. And he says, um, until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. And the, the whole point to me is simply this. Um, what I gather about all of this is that above all else, um, God's will shall be done. 
God's will will be done. But sometimes, um, I like to say, you, you, you have to go through before you can get to. But at the end of it all, as the will of God is done, God will provide the grace for us to be sustained. But it doesn't mean that the grace will come without still there being some pain that you have to suffer. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, look at what, what it had to um, come to. It had to come to, and, and you mentioned, interesting, you mentioned um, earlier, I don't know if it was on or off, but you talked about Emmett Till earlier. Um, yes. Yeah. And his, his uh, mom, remember she made oh, it gosh. a point to say, um, make sure that they leave the casket mm. open. I want the world to see what they did to my child. And I think, this is just me, but I think because we are sheltering in place, because we are, or at least at the time, we're in the midst of a pandemic. We still are, but we were mm-hmm. really sheltering in place. Places hadn't opened back up then. And you see what happened to uh, George Floyd yeah. on, on television in front of you. You, you see a uh, knee on the neck for over eight minutes. You can't turn away. Yeah. And because we're at home, and because we're there, and because there's no sports on, because there's no distractions, you see this and you have to see this and you have to begin to wrestle with yourself and it puts you in a place where you have to, at that point, make some difficult realizations. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's where we are. But in spite of that, God used even that horrible tragedy and travesty and murder to still get us to a place where now maybe we're having some conversations we otherwise would not have had. Yeah. So how, how I say, again, it's such an awful thing to say, but in the past when things like this have happened and we weren't in a pandemic, meaning your church was opened, your congregation is coming to you in person for guidance and and advice and just, you know, to cry with, Mm -hmm. I am sure, to pray with. How do you address that inside the walls of your church on those hours on Sundays, you know, when, when people are coming to hear the word of God through you? How, how do you address that? Because I'm, I'm sure it's completely different right now because you don't have the personal touch. It is different. Um, you, you, you have to deal with um, a couple of issues. Honesty, you know, be, be completely honest. You have to deal with it with compassion. You have to deal with it with, and you said this earlier too, as much empathy as you can muster. Mm. You know, as, as much empathy as you possibly, I'm, I'm going through this literally with you, with kindness and with compassion, but we, we've got to teach. And what I try to teach people is, we see a change needs to be made, make the change the right way. And being, maybe it's the political scientist in me, uh, Brittany, but you marching is definitely great. Protesting is definitely great. Um, peaceful protesting, definitely great. The peaceful protest, the marching, those are great. But this, with the same vigor and the same enthusiasm that you march and you protest, which is awesome, I want to see that in November. Yeah. I want to see that on Election Day. I, I want to see at the protest have stations set up where you can register people to vote right there. You know, they were doing that, the, uh, the protest here in Woodstock. Awesome. Because yeah. that's what it's, it's going to take that vote to really and not just a vote at the top but all the way down yes the ballot to vote for the changes you want to see if you don't like the way things are going vote to change it and i don't want to hear anybody say anything about well i don't like this person so i'm not gonna vote just like we stated earlier not making a decision Mm. is making a decision when you choose not to vote you've already cast a vote Yes. Because you're choosing not to vote is voting for the very person or assisting the very person that you might not want in the office. Yeah, so exactly. I, I really, I'm an advocate of voting, just a strong advocate of voting. So do you do anything on that, on that subject within the walls of the church, excluding any organizations that may meet here on, I say voter, constituency educa- education, uh, you know, where um, I assume politicians do not come in to give a stump speech <laughs> um you know during services but actually i allow that yeah a lot of people don't allow it i'll allow if, if you i've allowed it before i continue to allow it it's just a personal thing um as long as you're respectful yeah and um the the, the thing is it's also a gauge because uh the politicians that i really um 
like, I shouldn't say like, but the ones I, I sort of look at are the ones that don't just say their speech and leave. Mm. They actually stay for the service. Yes. But I let them speak. I let them say, say what they have to say, you know, within reason and within keeping time because I want, yeah. I want the, um, the, the church congregation to be as educated as possible. We were blessed last year because when she was running for governor, um, Stacey Abrams and, um, and, and her, her uh, running mate, uh, Sister uh, Sarah, and others yes. came out. And they were here um, at the church uh, on a, a, not a Sunday, but on a different event. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. I love that kind of stuff. We're definitely here for that. You know, and we want to be able to educate. And we're not biased. You know, we're, yeah. we're, not, we're not telling you to vote one way or the other. You just have to vote for what you think is going to be best for what you would like to see going on in your community and your country. Right. Absolutely. So I say, where, where do we go from here? What do you have an idea of what post COVID or um, not even post COVID uh, in line with COVID looks like for your church and your congregation? I know you mentioned to me uh, before we started recording that August at the earliest is when your doors will open again. So, so what does that look like uh, right now? How does that look? <laughs> Funny you should say that. Um, one of the things, and, and I'm dealing with this right now, you have to make tough decisions especially dealing with, with a post-COVID church. So one thing we're dealing with now, you know you're going to really have to have um, a very competent online experience mm -hmm. and online ministry because that's where a lot of people are going to, they have been and they're going to continue to really engage online. And here at the church, we had to make some adjustments in terms of um, being ready for when we reopen. So during this season, our carpet in the sanctuary needed to be replaced. So we're replacing the carpet in the sanctuary. In addition to that, uh, with the help of our officers of our church, our stewards and trustees, but primarily the trustees who handle the property and the stewards who handle the worship aspects of, of, this, of the church and sort of um, together, you know, uh, govern the church under the, you know, direction of God and the, and the pastor, they decided that we had to make a change for social distancing. So our church had pews historically. And we have uh, removed the pews in line with the carpet. And we're now going to go from pews to chairs. Oh, wow. But it's a sentimental, um, a sentimental issue for some people. Because they think when I see church, I got to have a pew. I got to have a pew. But in terms of safety. Yes. It is very hard to socially distance, to social distance with a pew. So the chairs make it much easier. So that's one glaring change that, that we're making. And I'm sure there'll be others, but you just have to sort of yeah. be, be flexible and realize it's, it's fluid. And um, this is for everybody listening, not just for here at Allen Temple, but anybody who leads any organization, whatever you lead an organization, for those that are following and those that are leading, be patient with one another mm. because this is all fluid. Yeah, We've never seen this before. I don't think any of us were alive during the Spanish flu. I don't believe. Um, so I mean, no, no one in this in this area right here, one and two of us. <laughs> exactly, one and two. But you know, you're talking about you know something we've never seen before. Yeah. You know? And so this is this is different. Yeah. So are there were there things on the horizon before COVID that have been either canceled or just put on pause for? for the church that you are oh. hoping to get, like you're, you're looking at doing, like you said before, digitally or some other way. There are, um, one of the things as a denomination, we have our denominational meeting every four years called our general conference, which is huge. Thousands and thousands of people come out uh, where we uh, enact legislation, we elect new bishops and current bishops that have to retire, of retirement age have to retire. We have it every four years. We were stated to have it in Orlando. It was supposed to start next week hmm. and so now we can't have it yeah and we're looking to have it hopefully by next summer if we're fortunate so that's a big change then we have our annual meetings of our smaller jurisdictions that we've had to cancel here at the church we've had to just go everything virtual yeah virtual church virtual bible study virtual um um class meetings, virtual, all kinds yeah. of things. And I'm sure that's hard because not only do you lose the personal touch, but there are some, um, I, I've experienced this with the two organizations I'm on the board for, that some people just aren't online. No, they're not. But see, here's the thing. You, you, we have to be very diligent about helping people get 
online. Yeah. Because, and I, I've had people, especially some that are just more stubborn, I'm not going to get, I don't want a computer. Computers are bad. Computers are this. You're going to have to get mm. um, in line with that because it doesn't look like this is going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. I, um, yes. So, um, because I, I, I assume you still study all the things um, with, with, with not only your education, but as a, as a member of the community and just organizational leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I assume you've heard of, you know, tran- transactional leadership, transformation, transformational leadership mm-hmm. and what have you. Have you ever thought about where you might fall in, in if understanding, of course, there is a marriage between them. Um, Absolutely, I would say Dr. King, President Obama, transformational leaderships. But as a president, you have to be transactional as well, right? Have you ever thought of if you align with one more than, more than the other, some leadership style? I would like to think transformational. I would like to think because... It certainly sounds that way. Well, at my last church, um, I have a dear friend of mine uh, at the church who was also my treasurer. Um, and uh, her name is Lois Harrison. And... Miss Lois, who's a dear, still a dear friend of mine, she would say to me, she would say, Rev, here's the thing about you. You're a change agent. And wherever you go, you're going to make changes. And you should stop apologizing for that because that's really mm. just who God has allowed you to be. And in doing that, you have to make some changes. And the reason I would like to think it's transformational leadership as opposed to transactional is because when you really are leading an organization, a lot of the changes you make really I'm not going to say they don't but let's just say they're not even changes you really want hmm. they're changes that you make for the good of the organization right? that you know are good for the organization that still may not be something that you're that gung ho about but you know it's going to be what's best for the yeah. organization so you do it so you s- sacrifice yourself and your own selfishness for the organization and that's and I'm not, I'm not going there Brittany but I'll say this that's the problem with the United States in a nutshell right now. Mm. You can't be the president for you yes. and a few people that yes. you like. You have to be the president for everybody. I can't just be the pastor of Allen Temple. It's much smaller scale and much less important job. But I can't just be the pastor of Allen Temple for one group. Right. I have to be the pastor of Allen Temple for the entire group and even larger than that for the entire community we live in. Right. So that's what you try to do and you try to make people see that. So in doing that, all the decisions you make aren't going to be popular and the changes you make aren't going to be popular. But at the end, um, I like to ask myself the question, can I lay my head down on my pillow at night knowing that I did my best to represent God and honor God? And if I can do that, I'm good. That is, you keep making me smile at y'all hard. <laughs> All right, so what, how each podcast will end, um, and I say that because you're the first interview here, um, is I would like to ask you to name three leaders that you admire, that you wish to emulate, you know, what have, even some that you're like, this person was a good leader, but I don't want any part of that. Uh, name three, three leaders for us. Okay, my first, and this is hard, I, I you know, this That's why hard. I send it out ahead of time. Yeah, I'm like, we can have a conversation, but when you try to narrow down three, three. people. <laughs> one, and I'll, I'll start with this one, has got to be um, former President Barack Obama. Um, and I'll say that um, for this reason. He, he showed me, number one, something I thought I'd never see. That was an African-American man who was actually elected president of the United States of America, who really said to the people, I'm not just the president for black folk. I have to be the president of everyone. Right. And I saw what he had to endure and what he endured and how he was still. And see, remember, my, my degree is marriage and family uh, therapy ministry, you know. Yes. And I saw him be a father mm, yes. to his daughters and a great husband to his wife. And she's a great wife to her husband. And seeing them lead and seeing them govern with such grace. Yes. And, and no scandals. Um, but the biggest scandal he endured was he wore a light suit. That tan suit? The tan suit. That tan right, suit. Exactly. And she wore her arms out. Come on, man. Uh, yeah. So to lead with the grace they led with, oh, my gosh. And I was, I was fortunate um, in, um, when I was in um, Ann Arbor to meet him. Actually, I met him twice. I met him once while he was running and once Don't while he was running. Don't brag, Reverend. <laughs> it was awesome. And actually, um, shout out to uh, my dad because 
my dad was um, out of Chicago and very instrumental in helping President Obama get elected. So much so That's amazing. that when he got elected that night in Grant Park, President Obama chose to have my father give the opening prayer, uh, his first prayer as the elected president of wow. the United States of America. And you can Google it. My dad. Yeah, my dad, I have seen that. That's see, your dad. That was my dad out on the stage in Grant Park giving the prayer. That what an amazing uh, legacy for your family! Like love, all yeah. of these. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. Oh, I, anyway, I studied with Dr. King, and I, you know, did oh, this yeah. for Obama. Blah blah. Yeah. Like that's that's fantastic. And and um yeah and, and he's just uh, President Obama's a great leader that you can emulate. And I don't I don't say that because he was the first black president. I say that because he was to me the greatest president of my lifetime of my of my forty seven years on this earth. And I I really look look at yeah. him like that. I got to shake his hand one time. Um, and I, I just, I ran out. It was on the White House grounds, so I had to control myself. I was like, I just shook hands with a unicorn. What do I do? What yeah, do I do? He's such a down-to-earth guy. Yeah. When, when I, the last time I met him, um, he's like, last how's your dad? Last time I met him. Doubt, you know, once <laughs> while he was running, and one, but it was brief. But he said, you know, he was like, he was like, how's your dad? Oh. You know, just a down-to-earth guy. Great yeah. guy. Great guy. That's fantastic. So um, I'll say who's two and three, but these are in no particular order. No particular order. Two and three. Okay. Two and three are... Mom and dad, dad and mom, mom and dad. I'll start with mom. Um, mom is that way for me because I saw her um, in her own way. I guess I'll kind of do them together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my dad uh, is a former bishop of our denomination who was also the former president of the National Council of Churches of Christ. So the uh, Millions of people are in this organization. Every Protestant denomination in the country falls under this. And he was the president, um, first elected African-American president of the National Council of Churches. And he did that, um, very instrumental in many presidential campaigns, a great leader in his own right. I mean, my dad did a, a lot of stuff. Like you said, went to school with Dr. King. Um, and I watched how he did it and how he was able to um, move with with such grace and and move with such ease and navigate you know from the secular areas he had to to the religious areas he had to to the political to the different things and just all the work he put in and continues to put in and i just look at that in awe but i have to also say my mom because while he was doing his um work as a bishop she was also doing her own advocacy work and i think i told you she was very big one of the first people I ever remember, the first person I ever remember really talking about um, HIV and AIDS, mm -hmm. even when we thought HIV and AIDS, when it first hit the scene, was only a gay man's disease. Remember yeah. that? Way, way. Matter of fact, you were probably, Brittany, a baby Yeah. then, if, if, if even born yet, but you were, you were a baby. So I remember as a little kid. I got you about a few years saying um, <laughs> just saying, one or two, sir, saying to, right there to my mom, you know, and, and her saying that and seeing her work and work with feeding the homeless yeah. and work with these other things. So I watch both of them and how awesome they are. But the part I think I love the most is right now, mom will, by the grace of God, will be 87. That's amazing. Um, next month in, in a, on July 22nd. And dad, <gasps> that's my birthday. July 22nd. Stop it. It's mom's birthday. July the 22nd. two of us and the future <laughs> king of England right July there. And my dad just turned um, just turned 87. So mom be 88, dad has just turned 87. Oh, congratulations They've to them. That's amazing. Been married over 60 years. Stop. And I like the same thing about them that I like about President Obama and Mrs. Obama is I see how much they love one another. Yeah. Mind you, their marriage, like everybody else's, is not perfect, but they've been together and they showed me how to be a good father. Yeah how to be a good husband, how to be a good leader. And so I look at them and, and I thank God, I never had to look outside of my house for role models. I That's had great amazing. role models right at home. That's amazing. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. So gotta, gotta say mom and dad. Well, Reverend, Reverend Cousin, I wanna thank you so much for sitting down. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. To, yeah, this was, this was fantastic. Um, I, I wanna thank you for everything that has led you to, um, to Woodstock and our community and, and our community is certain like certainly lucky to have you um Glad and to of, be here. of course on a personal note i can't wait to see what we can do together next and just uh uh you know and and deepening our friendship there and Absolutely. 
um, as a member of this community as well. I'm just so thankful to have you. So thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate it. Brittany, I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed the Leading Georgia interview with Reverend Dr. Joseph Nathaniel Cousins, Sr., pastor of the Allen Temple Church in Woodstock and president of the Cherokee County chapter of the NAACP. For next week, we will have two episodes. The first episode will be with Maddie Small, chair of the Cherokee County African American Caucus. And the second to air next week will be the mayor of Woodstock, Donnie Enriquez. Please feel free to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts to Leading Georgia. We will see you next week. This is Brittany Bangert for Leading Georgia.